Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. With the scientific revolution and the enlightenment, we have reduced the world to an insentient, dead, mechanical object, condemning us to a terrible solitude. And grievously, this worldview has spread like a cancer all over the world with conquest, colonization, and globalization. The modern belief is that we are the only intelligent beings in this world, and our role is to dominate nature, making it do our bidding. And along with nature, all those humans considered to be closer to nature, such as women, indigenous peoples, and basically all the people of non-Western descent. All of this has done profound harm to those people seen as closer to nature, as well as to the earth and cosmos. Western modernity is through and through anthropocentric, placing certain humans at the pinnacle of creation and transmogrifying the world into natural resources. They are just for us humans use or into so-called wilderness parks for our pleasure and for saving our conscience. This has led to the current profound die-out of thousands upon thousands of species, the befouling of the soil, of the mountains, of the air, of the waters. Our dominant view of the necessity of incessant growth and production erode to collective suicide. If all people lived as we do in the U.S., we would need three or four additional planets to supply resources and take our waste. This pathological path being trumpeted as development, progress, and often as well as civilization. This pathology is not only destroying our planetary home, but ourselves as well. The media in the U.S. is full of reports on the opioid epidemic, claiming each year more and more lives. Addictions of all kinds are rampant. Mental pathologies are as well. Suicide is growing, and the age at which it can occur getting shockingly lower. Our immune systems are beleaguered by a food production industry that is damaging our resilience. Our cities are riven by an obscenely growing gap between rich and poor, and the list goes on. Our souls are shriveling, having been cut off from their source in the soul of the world. This anima mundi of the Renaissance occult philosophers and the so-called witches. The extermination of anima mundi was required to place to make place for the new emerging worldview of this mechanical, soulless object world. This is a moving excerpt from an essay titled Healing the Earth, Healing Ourselves by Dr. Frederick Apfel Marglin to be published in our next issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. Dr. Frederick Apfel Marglin is Professor Emerita, Department of Anthropology at Smith College and Distinguished Visiting Professor, College of the Environment, Wesleyan University. She founded the Sachamama Center for Biocultural Regeneration in the Peruvian High Amazon in 2009, which she directs. And personally, <clears throat> I know Frederick to be a wise elder, authentically entangled with the other than human and heartbroken by our current situation. She's also an empowered 
sacred activist. Frederic is a story bearer and a change agent. And I'm honored to have Dr. Afel Marglin with me again on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio as we dive deeper into conversations and explorations around the need for us to recognize, acknowledge, and name the truths of the situation we are in and explore ways in which we can begin to turn the tide of disconnection, separation, and the collective suicide to one of entanglement, reverence, and deep abiding care in some very practical ways right in the midst of our day-to-day lives. So dear Frederic, thank you so much for joining us again on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for having me, Rochelle. First of all, Frederic, I wonder what comes to heart and mind for you as I read the excerpt from your amazing essay. Thank you for your kind words, uh, Rochelle. (laughs) Well, uh, listening to what I wrote as you read it, uh, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, this is a very dark view. (laughs) 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 Which, uh, of course, I believe is true. But uh, I would would like to uh, show that it's not, you know, that there is something else happening everywhere, uh, even in in the U.S., where uh, the system is really very damaging, because uh, this other way of being, this uh, unsold way of being in the world and being entangled with the non-human world and with other humans, uh, is, is, I believe, is is spontaneously arising in everybody, not just indigenous people or people over in India or wherever. Uh, It is arising even in the most paved over cities, Boston, uh, New York, Uh, you know, that that, uh, life force is difficult to extinguish. Uh, It's battered forcefully, definitely. But the life force is nevertheless there. It hasn't been totally extinguished, even though uh, the earth is suffering, many people are suffering, but not everybody. And there are new things happening. And uh, for example, I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. Uh, The year I was visiting Wesleyan University in Connecticut, um, I was there invited by the College of the Environment. And Wesleyan is a wonderful university, and it has a farm run by students. And what I discovered is that now it was a really new phenomenon. The brightest students, those who could really, you know, uh, choose their career, several of them want to be farmers. They want to nurture and work with the earth and the water and the air. And they have done amazing thing on this farm. Uh, And it's completely organic. It's completely sustainable. And uh, the fact that, you know, many, many bright, bright students want to be farmer is something that surprised me and delighted me. And I think uh, there's hope 
there's hope, there's little sprouts are, are, are happening all over the place. Don't it's you? One. I do. You? Yes. It is very inspiring. And that's what really one of the, you know, the basic reasons why I'm doing this radio show is, I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of people that I could bring on the show to um, just amplify their work and their voice and their passions because it's exactly what's happening. And at the same time, I think so many of us are waking up to this devastating reality and really, in a way, just the horrors of the situation that we're facing today. And so, you know, I think there is also a a grieving, like a great grieving that's happening. It's it's kind of happening at the same time that, um, yes. you know, this awakening and the grieving and then also an acting. And I think that that's very inspiring. Yes. And, um, and I think it helps us awaken a little more, you know, slowly keep awakening because the it's in the doing, and I know this is going to be our conversation. We're going to focus on a bit, a little bit later. Is that it's the focus on the, like we all need to act in some way, and um, that there's healing in that doing and an awakened doing. And I have a question for you related to that: the grieving and sort of the role of the grieving. Um, Mm-hmm. you know, playing a, as a way of sort of collectively healing. And as I was just preparing for our talk today, the word atonement came to me. It's sort of like an act of reparation, of repairing our relationship to, the, use the word, the beautiful word, anima mundi. Um, and I'm curious if you might say something about that, if that feels... Absolutely. Real. It feels very, very real. In fact, there is a, a Hebrew word uh, that's uh, phrase, which is tikkun olam, healing the world, repairing the world. And, uh, and it's also an atonement to do this. And um, I think that people are feeling it and people are hungry for that. Young people, but all kinds of people are really uh, wanting to do something like that. And, and I think that they are, there's also tremendously important uh, scholarship being done that's very, very new, that is helping us become aware, for example, that we cannot just feel okay because we have made beautiful wilderness parks and national parks and biological reserves and say, oh, it's okay. You know, we can go on with our daily lives because we have all those beautiful parks. There's now excellent uh, scholarship that shows that uh, this is an illusion. There is no wilderness. These places were cared for carefully and used by the indigenous uh, people who lived in those parks and then were removed on reservation in the 19th century. So that's an awakening that's very important because if we think, oh, everything's okay because we have preserved this wilderness and these biological parks, we will, con- we will not question 
how we grow food, how we get minerals, how we get oil, you know, everything that we need to keep this um, type of civilization afloat. Uh, so it's very important to, uh, to wake up to this. And um, so for me, uh, what I very much try to do in my center uh, is to to both uh, do some intellectual work where we read these kind of uh, scholarship, uh, as well as hands-on work uh, where we uh, get involved bodily with um, making uh, this amazing uh, Amazonian pre-Columbian soil, which is the most fertile and sustainable in the world, and which additionally transforms the land into a sink for greenhouse gas emissions and could really solve our climate issue. So to do both of these things and to do also uh, begin uh, to, to explore how to relate to the non-human world, not as an object, as an insentient mechanical object, but as beings, that it is full of beings. And in my center, it's not, it's, we are helped greatly by my indigenous collaborators because that's how they relate. So we participate with them in their offerings to the earth and to the water and to the moon and the sun and the plants, the medicinal plants. And that, you know, when, when, you, when you witness this, and sometimes they invite us to do it, and uh, doing it uh, is kind of the first steps to reawaken in us that sensibility that existed in Europe, pre-modern Europe, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the occult philosophers, the witches, the so-called witches, the sorcerers, the peasants, the oral peasantry, they did these things. So we had it in our past. It's been exterminated. But I think you can't totally eradicate it. And it's easy. I think it's possible. I don't know if it's easy. I like to think it's easy to reawaken it in us. In us especially when you witness uh, our indigenous friends and collaborators doing it, that helps enormously. And I think we need to do that. We need to do both the intellectual work that uh, shows a new, really, an, I would say, a new science that one scientist has labeled uh, post-materialist science. I love that label. Mm. Absolutely mm. love it. Post-materialist, uh, you know, leaving the classical science, the pre-quantum science, uh, the pre-many. And it's happening in many fields. It is not yet dominant. It trickles very slowly in ac academia. But nevertheless, it's there and it's having its effect. And so we need to read these things. And I try to do that in, at my center in the programs that I offer. And also act, as you say, participate, uh, do things, both very practical and a mixture of practical and ceremonial to put to give it a name. Yes. 
Yeah, I agree. Also, I think, you know, we're so in this, you know, modern Western society that we've been so ingrained to be so cerebral and intellectual that I think that we need to be met to some degree and on some level and at the intellectual level. And uh, I know just before the show, we were talking about Bruce Lipton's work and um, Dr. Karen Barad's work and how, you know, there's these these scientists, these maybe post-materialist scientists that are leading the way to help us articulate, you know, something that's ancient and just a part of our reality that we just have been closed off to. And uh, one in particular area is this notion or this again, reality, this truth of the self is not a contained entity. I wonder if you could speak to that. Yes, uh, that's very, very key. And I think both uh, Karin Barad, uh, who is a quantum physicist, and Bruce Lipton, who is a molecular biologist, address this in very different way. I've used uh, very heavily Karin Barad's work, uh, and she... uh, she is really uh, looking at one of the fathers of the quantum uh, revolution, uh, Niels Bohr, and his work. And she uses the expression intra-action that speaks to this, to this theme that you, you brought up. Intra-action instead of interaction. What is the difference? When you use the word interaction, you have two things or two entities or two beings uh, relating to each other. So the starting point is an entity, whether, you know, whether it's a person or a plant or molecule or, or, or subatomic particle or whatever it be. Uh, so she replaces this with the term intra-action. And I think it's extremely important that shift because the term interaction uh, communicates that what is primary is not the being or object, but the relationship. So you start with the relationship, and it's dynamic. So uh, the object is the product of this dynamic. It's not, you don't start with the being or the object or whatever it is, the entity, you start with the relation. And that is, uh, I think it's a fundamental shift. And, uh, and you know, to go into her work, it's quite complex. I don't think it's uh, possible uh, right now, but I want to focus on that word intraaction because it undoes uh, the primacy of separate entities relating to each other. The primacy is the relationship. And uh, it resonates with me because, um, you know, I've lived in India many years. I've been collaborating with indigenous people in Peru for many, many years too. In these cultures or part of these cultures, the relations are primary. And with us, and it's very obvious in the way we raise children. We raise children as if they were a closed entity. And you really focus on the 
internal dynamics of a child, you know, uh, and that's depth psychology. And you don't, you, you, you really do not start with the relationship, how you relate to others, other humans, usually in the child, it's family and friends, and the non-human beings. You, that does not have primacy. What has primacy is the emotional dynamic within the child. And I think that's, that really uh, tends to produce these very individualistic, closed people uh, who, for whom then it becomes difficult to be in relationship, uh, especially with the non-human world, but even with the humans, you know, <laughs> because you're not brought up that way. You are the center uh, and, and everything is done, done in terms of that center. So that's Karen Berard and her use of that term. And I use it heavily and I use many other of her terms and ideas in my uh, published work. Bruce Lipton, uh, I've come to uh, learn about his work much more recently and haven't yet used it, but it's, it's stunning because he, he has worked with stem cells. He, he started as a totally straight mainstream molecular biologist. And uh, so he put the same stem cells in different Petri dish with slightly different liquid you know, in which you, you base the stem cells. And lo and behold, the cells become different things in a different Petri dish. So he really then focused on the membrane of the cells. And he, he, what he finds is that those membranes are not um, watertight, they are porous, if you will, and they have what he calls antennas. So what is going on is a constant uh, interaction, would be the best term to use, I think, between uh, what we call the outside and the inside. And so who you are is really a, a result of all of that. And the whole mm -hmm. field of epigenetics has, has really uh, picked that up in a big way you know it used to be when the with uh, you know the discovery of the double helix as dna we thought oh you know the genes is going to tell how we are and what will happen to us well it turns out it ain't so and it's not so because uh everything about us uh that it's wrong to think that uh, the gene uh, determines our our, everything about us. It's a conversation, if you want to use that term, or a dynamic uh, process, uh, an interaction, which is a dynamic word. And hence, um, that uh, differences appear because uh, even though you could, you could have, you know, supposedly the same genetic makeup, but your experience in the world is different. So it will express itself differently in different individuals, even identical twins. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating. And uh, I, th I think it relates, it can relate so practically to our 
um, our experience, you know, as we begin to just sort of grasp the reality of that. And it seems that once we begin to glimpse the significance of, I, I think another word you've used is entanglement, that we can begin to open ourselves up to more to sacred practices and ritual, as you use that word, and we can talk a bit about about the the word ritual. Um, but so for so many years, and for so many of us in this colonized society, these practices have been forced so deep into the recesses of our culture. As a society, we we have so much baggage associated with experiencing ritual as maybe taboo or even dangerous. And we're still playing out. <clears throat> it's like the past isn't really the past. It's still the present because we're really playing out this, um, you know, I, the, I appreciate the word you use, living out this soul shriveling effects of colonization. <clears throat> but when we, we begin to release the straight jacket of modernity, we can have a whole new experience. It really is so much more than just a shift in worldview. It's really like an embodied experience of coming home to one's wholeness and it's, it's also in a radical, a way, a radical act of decolonization. And I wonder if you can speak to this, the ritual, and then we can go into um, more about that. Yes, of course. Uh, I I do not mean by ritual, you know, pattern repetitive action. Uh, I use that term because uh, the root of that word is Sanskrit, uh, pronounced ritu. And ritu is usually uh, translated or rita. Uh, rita is a substantive, and it's translated as cosmic order very often. And when you replace the a by an u, you make it an action word. So it's something dynamic, ritu. And uh, it uh, refers to the... Uh, knots of the time when the seasons are changing and it also refers to women's menstruation because my second piece of fieldwork in uh, eastern India was on the festival of the menstruation of the earth and women so I've looked into that very deeply and uh, so I, I love the term Ritual, because it comes from Sanskrit, and I want to preserve that, uh, you know, that history in in that word. And um, I also, through this work that I did in India, uh, came to the view that um, it, that you relate to everyone and everything in a ritual way, to use the Sanskritized pronunciation. Uh, and, and everything is ritualized in India. I mean, the most mundane action is ritualized. And uh, what I really have come to feel is that um, you, especially when you're interacting with the non-human world, you're making a fire to start cooking, let us say. That's done ritually. A simple thing, you know, the, uh, the peasant woman in a little straw hut, mud and straw hut, she starts cooking in the morning. Well, she makes an offering to the fire. She says something. Uh, 
when she goes and get water at the well or wherever she gets water, same thing. Um, so I really came from, I spent several years in India, from that experience, uh, realizing that this is an embodied way of being and speaking or singing or making music or dancing uh, that, uh, or all of these together, that you are uh, relating not only, but I'm now focusing on the non-human world. And you use that medium. It's, it's because I think, <laughs> uh, you know, this is my theory, that um, they don't speak your language. Uh, they are, uh, they have another, they live in, in a different dimension, if you will. And when you relate to them this way, first of all, you are uh, respecting them because it's always orderly and very often very beautiful. Uh, I have a background in Indian classical dance. I used to be a, a dancer. And so it's very, very beautiful. The music is very beautiful. The architecture is very beautiful. The, the simple huts are beautiful. How people live is beautiful. How they dress is beautiful. And you, you relate. So, so, for example, the weavers, uh, they make an offering to the loom before they start weaving. Um, and uh, so offerings are made. If you are a writer, you make an offering to, to your tools that you use for writing. And that is a recognition that uh, everything in the world is sentient, is alive, and you are interacting with it. And you do that carefully and hopefully beautifully. And usually... It's beautiful. Um, and also mindfully, because you are focusing. You do not forget. You don't do it automatically. Oh, I'm too, too busy to think about it. Uh, you know, I'm late today. Uh, let's forget about the, you know, the song or the, or the mantra or whatever you have to say. Or you start planting your field. You always do an offering. And also in Peru, um, before planting, there's an offering. Uh, and, for, and, and so forth. For the full moon, there's an offering for the full moon, and so forth and so on. It's beautiful. Our guest today is Dr. Frederic Apfel-Marglin, PhD. Frederic and I have had a series of enlightening conversations here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, and you can find those in the archives. They are downloadable, and they are free for you, as always. Dr. Frederic Apfel-Marglin is Professor Emerita, Department of Anthropology at Smith College and founder and director of the Sachamama Center for Biocultural Regeneration in the Peruvian High Amazon. Frederic's next book, titled Sacred Soil, Biochar and the Regeneration of the Earth, is published by North Atlantic Books, will be out in July. And you can buy the pre-order the book on Amazon. And you can connect with the Sachamama Center for Biocultural Regeneration at SachamamaCenter.org, as well as on Facebook at Centro Sachamama. And we will be right back with Dr. Frederic Apfel-Marglin. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Dr. Frederic Afel Marglin's Integral Ecology Program in the Upper Upper Amazon of Peru is open to the public and has two parts. The first six weeks consists of morning seminars with readings and discussions focusing on the local ecological situation, the regeneration of the forest, food sovereignty, and climate mitigation, indigenous traditions, spirituality, as well as more theoretical issues of a post-Cartesian Newtonian paradigm. Outside of seminar, participants will learn how to regenerate the pre-Columbian anthropogenic Amazonian soil, the most sustainable and fertile soil in the world containing biochar. Participants also stay for a few days and nights in an indigenous community and learn firsthand about their cosmovision, spirituality, and craft trades. The last two weeks are optional, involving a retreat in the rainforest with focus on Amazonian medicinal plants, forest ecology, heart opening, and developing one's capacity for biognosis. The Center for uh, the Sachamama Center for Biocultural Regeneration's Indigenous 
staff members share their vast knowledge about the hundreds of Amazonian medicinal plants as well as their use, their preparations, and the rituals accompanying these. And you can find out more on Dr. Frederica Valmarglin's website at suchamamacenter.org. So welcome back, Frederic. Hi. So before the break, you were speaking about the, the healing power of tending to our non-human relationships and the use of ritual as the medium of communication between the non-human and human world. And my sense is that this requires, and you mentioned this, an experience of embodiment, coming home to our senses. It's like the it's into a fleshiness of our very own bodies. And it feels like a very feminine experience, fleshly, fleshy bodily experience of our world. It's messiness, it's rhythms and cycles. Um, and also it's beauty. And if you could just speak a bit more um, to this. Yes, uh, that is something uh, that I care a great deal about. Because uh, in my uh, many years of teaching, mostly at Smith, but at other institutions as well, uh, the, the overwhelming, I realized that what is really emphasized and what is rewarded is uh, our mind, our minds, and, uh, and particularly our analytical method and clear thinking. Of course, that's important. I'm not dissing that. You need it. But what distressed me is that it becomes separated from our bodies, our hearts, our emotions, and the larger Earth body that we are part of. Uh, And uh, since Smith is a women's college, I thought, well, you know, we are really making, trying to make women like successful upper class men, especially white men. And that's, you know, uh, that may not be the, the best, the best road to take. And I was, you know, it, it kind of got me, uh, in fact, quite depressed, and I really felt I had to do something else. And that's why I retired and uh, created my center where I, I was free to develop a pedagogy where, uh, which I call integral because I'm trying to connect, reconnect uh, the mind with the heart, with the, our bodies and the earth's body or the cosmic body, if you will. Um, And that is extremely important because the way you are, I believe, the way you interact with the non-human world is it's an enactment. It's an embodied action. You're not going to get things better by thinking through. Yes, it's important. You have to know how to read well, how to be uh, do critical thinking, how to understand. That's certainly extremely important, but it's necessary but not sufficient. Uh, if you cannot then, uh, if you will, translate that uh, understanding and knowledge in bodily enactments, uh, you are not going to uh, affect the world in the right way. 
especially the non-human world. Uh, and so for me, this is very, very important part of the pedagogy I try to to use. Now, that pedagogy was not taught to me, so I, I kind of developed it uh, as I went along intuitively and uh, refining it over the years. And uh, I'm hoping that it's successful. Certainly, you know, this, the participants who've come to my programs say that it they were deeply transformative and it's given them also not only information, but joy and confidence that they, they can uh, make a difference. They can matter and they can, it's given them, uh, taken them out of uh, depression, uh, sadness, uh, stress, uh, frustration, and given them a joy of life. So I think we need that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, we're going to burn out. We're mm-hmm. not going to. We're not going to stay the course for the long, long haul. Yes, I feel as though it's a part of the realization is that we're not alone. That um, you know, this colonized view is that you know. Uh, you know, when we start awakening to the the travesty and the horrors that, okay, what have we done? And then how are we going to fix this? Well, there's a realization that, okay, well, we're not alone. <laughs> like we can do this together. And I'm curious also related to ritual, if we can talk a bit about what kind of attitudes accompany the practices? What level of attention is required? And maybe what are um, the values and intentions that support this these practices? Well, one of them, uh, a very central, uh, I would call it a principle in ritual action, is the principle of reciprocity. Uh, For example, to take the example of uh, my friend, collaborators in in the upper Peruvian Amazon and the soil and the growing of food. Um, So you, you know, it's simply so taken for granted by them that we are alive because of the earth producing food and uh, the water, uh, the rain, and the and the streams, and 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 the air, and the sun, and the moon, and so and the, the trees, and the plants, and the animals. Without them, we would not be alive. And so you, there's there's such a felt, uh, felt and expressed uh, realization that. We are nurtured by the non-human world. We are kept alive by the non-human world. And we need to reciprocate, to respond, to uh, give back. And so that's the meaning of offering. And I call that, I've tried to, you know, make it understood that it's not just a symbolic or metaphorical action it is what I call a regenerative action. Because if we just uh, use 
the non-human world, the soil and the air and the water and all everything uh, for our purposes and uh, mechanically uh, and do not realize that uh, without the fruits of that world, we are not alive, uh, we end up where we are uh, with massive extinctions of plant species, animal species, all kinds of things, the befouling of the water, mountaintop removal, destroying landscapes, uh, air pollution uh, that is making us sick. There's now a scientist that have made uh, a connection between uh, air pollutant and autism. And so that explains the rise of autism uh, because there's a rise in air pollution and so forth and so on. So when you do these actions that are called rituals or offerings or ceremonials, we think of them because we've been, you know, this is our paradigm, if you will, our modern paradigm. We think these are symbolic metaphorical actions and we're not really talking to the earth because the earth doesn't talk, right? Well, not quite. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, not quite. I mean, yes, the earth does not speak like we do, uh, but um, we need to be aware that the earth is alive, that the earth and all everything in in the cosmos is sentient, and we we are part of it. We are of it. And we have to be aware of this. And these enactments, these actions embody this. So it's not an analytical statement. It's not a conceptual idea. It's lived. You know, it's like the difference between writing, I think you're very smart and you're beautiful and I love you. Well, fine. Versus being face-to-face and seeing it, saying this with feeling and touching the person, uh, that one, the latter one, is real, is felt. The person receiving this is is uh, changed by by it. And I think it's the same principle at work with everything else. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Uh, absolutely, Rochelle. absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I really appreciate the the you know the terminology like regenerative action. Um, this is very you know it speaks volumes. Um, it's really beautiful, and I'm wondering. I we have a few minutes left. If you would speak about you know what's coming up for you um, as far as your work and how we can connect with you and support you. And um, I know, I think you, people can still sign up for the integral ecology program. If you want to speak about that as well. Yes. Yes. So my integral ecology, uh, I, I received the term from my friends and colleague uh, at Yale uh, Professor Mary Evelyn Tucker and Professor John Grimm, who created uh, the program on Forum on Religion and Ecology, 
there. It's a very active program. They, I participated in their series of conferences that then became books on religion and ecology. And they use this term. Uh, they are disciples of the late Thomas Berry, uh, cultural historian. Uh, and it's also a term used in by Pope Francis in his ecological encyclical um, that's called Laudato Si. And I love the term because it enables me to talk both about integral ecology and integral pedagogy. They go together. They're really aspects of the same thing. And you can use the same word uh, for both, uh, which really highlight uh, that the, this this dynamism of interaction, of embodiment, of enactment, uh, actions, embodied actions. And the mind is then integrated with the body, the heart, and the la our larger body, which is the earth and cosmic body. So uh, that's what I have named my program this year. Uh, and uh, and as I said, uh, well, there's a pragmatic aspect to what I do. I collaborated with an NGO, a Peruvian NGO, for 10 years. And so, so up close, uh, the difficulties that arise from being an NGO, being on soft money. Uh, and I didn't want to do that. And I thought that by um, teaching courses abroad, I could partially finance this. And my own, um, admittedly not vast, but nevertheless, um, some resources that I have. So I am independently financing this because I want to be able to be free to do exactly what I think should be done. Mm -hmm. And also I want it to be uh, on a sustainable footing. Uh, so it, because, you know, to transform agroforestry and practices, that takes a very, very long time. Uh, we work also with the provincial school board uh, as well as uh, a few uh, native communities. And this change is slow and it's going to continue after me and I want it to continue after me. So I do this both to bring in some, uh, some re financial resources and because I was dying to, uh, to teach in a way that I believed uh, was more uh, fruitful and more uh, nourishing and, and, and in the direction of uh, trying to do something about um, the devastation that we are wrecking, uh, wrecking the world with, if you will. Mm -hmm. so, so for two, these two reasons, I do my program. And uh, it is for uh, participants from the north. And I used to make it mostly for uh, undergraduates and ME students. But last year, I had for the first time, by chance, several activists uh, 
older people and then a young family with with a, a boy of four. And it was so wonderful to have this spread of generation and children. It just opened up the whole thing. It was wonderful. So now I am really opening it up to all uh, educational level as well as to uh, interested um, uh, activists uh, to go on this journey, this this discovery journey together, uh, and uh, hopefully be transformed for for bringing about regeneration and life in the world. It's beautiful. And would the the best way for people to connect is through your website? Right. And or or they can email me directly. Uh, My email is simply F, which is the first letter of my name, Frédéric. And the last part of my last name, Marglin, M-A-R-G-L-I-N, F Marglin at smith.edu. So if they uh, email me, that's the fastest. And at my center, we have Wi-Fi. And so, you know, I will be there as of next Sunday and uh, I can respond to people immediately uh, if they write to me. That's wonderful. So we have just a couple minutes left and I wonder if we could speak to, you know, we've been speaking about ritual and um sort of the re-sacralization of our lives. And for those of us that, you know, this may be very new, um, a new practice, new ways of being and relating to our lives, how would you say would be a, a good way to just to begin gently integrating this into our modern lives? Well, you know, I kind of... The first step is to realize you do not do things just because they're convenient for you or because you feel like doing them or you love doing them or, you know, it doesn't begin with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, an embodied, sacred or ritualized action has to do with a relationship. And uh, you start with you in relation with whatever it is you're doing the ritual about. Let us say soil, because we do that a lot, not only, you know. So you're you're in relationship with it. And immediately you become aware, uh, mindful, that uh, you just don't do it because it's convenient and that's how you do it. For example... Last summer, I co-taught with a a wonderful uh, young faculty from Canada, and he was big time into permaculture. And uh, when we were discussing in the seminar that, you know, the local people don't just do, you know, you can't do anything anytime. All agriculture is according to the phases of the moon. And if you're a woman, uh, we have our own phases, and they're totally tied to the moon, you know. The menstrual cycle is the moon cycle. So it depends in our cycle, the moon cycle, uh, many other things. And he said, but why should we do it this way? I'm used to do it. I, I go and do my work whenever I feel like it. I said, well, that's fine if you're the only sentient being around. But if you begin to shift and realize that you are interacting, or if you want to keep the word interacting, you are in relationship with other beings 
where you just don't, you know, like you're not going to drop in your friend or your grandmother or your mother-in-law unannounced just when you feel like it. There's a certain way of doing it, right? Because you have to take into account that other being. And that's what it's about. And so it's a mindfulness and a recognition that we're part of a much wider uh, web of sentience and life. And we're part of it. And we can't just do everything simply starting from our need, our feelings, our desires, uh, what we want to do and how we want to do it. I think that's what I would say finally. Yes. Our guest today has been Professor Emerita, Department of Anthropology at Smith College and founder of the Satchamama Center for Biocultural Regeneration, Dr. Frederic Apfel-Marglin. And you can find out more about her summer, in, summer in, integral ecology program at satchamamacenter.org. Thank you so much, dear Frederic, for being with us once again for this inspiring conversation on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio and for sharing your own broken heart and your passionate with your passion, uh, passionate work with us and the world as you do. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rochelle, for having me. And for all of our listeners, you can tune in next week for the Emergence Network's Precipice Series with Annie Levin, where we will be wondering out loud together as we navigate the perplexing ecological, social, economic, and existential realities of our times. In the meantime, you can join us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Facebook page, follow us on our Twitter feed at Revolution Well, and connect with us on our website at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. It's such a pleasure to be here with you all on Revolution Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Until next time, may you be well and may we all be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.